is the it's an armor. It's a, I, I want to be right to protect myself, to protect the ego's armor. It's like you, you, you said my ego gets in the way. It's like the, the ego needs to reinforce what it knows to stay alive. And that's a very interesting thing about being human is that we have this ego that we develop and we create a story. And that all gets seeded in our language. Hello. My name is Matthew Sortino and welcome to Moments of Clarity. Today I am speaking to Jeff Lester. Jeff, or Hefe as he is affectionately known, is a yoga and meditation instructor, a sacred spaces facilitator and a coach. Before the pandemic, Jeff was a self-described nomad, travelling around the world to conduct his work and connect with people. Jeff still finds immense joy with his work, but has moved mostly into the online space, based in his hometown of Atlanta, Georgia. During our conversation, we discussed Jeff's work in the age of COVID, how to overcome overstimulation, reducing fear and anxiety, meditation, getting into nature, finding yoga, pivotal moments, and aligning the self. We delve into Jeff's childhood, intrinsic versus external motivation, choosing not to sacrifice passion and love for safety, practice as the pathway to transformation, the importance of paying attention, vulnerability, and being humble. Jeff explores how language shapes us, how our choices of words solidify our story, the benefits of expansion over contraction, the failure of outcome-oriented approaches, paradigm shifts and shattering existing perceptions, empowering ourselves in the face of expectation, being open and fluid, and a moment of clarity. I had a wonderful conversation with Jeff. I left our discussion feeling inspired and empowered. Jeff has experienced so much and continues to pave the way for growth and learning, not only in his own life, but in the lives of others. There is so much wisdom to gain throughout the podcast today, and I am excited to bring it to you. So without further delay, I bring you Jeff Lester. Jeff, welcome to Moments of Clarity. Hey, thank you. Great to be here. Very nice to have you here. So to get started, who are you, Jeff, and what have you been up to in 2021? Uh, in 2021, I am facilitating online yoga courses and trainings as well as coaching. So in the current climate or, you know, how we are as a human race, a lot of things are online. And what I did before that was I did what I do now and I did it in person. And I still do some in-person things. Primarily, though, it's online. And I yoga has been a very powerful part of my journey. We'll definitely tap into that more later. And so it's such a gift and privilege to share yoga and teach and train yoga teachers, as well as other facilitation trainings, training people to share their their magic with others, to raise the vibration for everyone. I often refer to yoga as OG self-development, like the many thousands of years old Uh, tool, science of human evolution, of evolving and elevating our consciousness, becoming more aware, becoming more connected with the present moment. So that's what I do now. And, And when I am not doing that or building that or working towards that, I'm, I'm working on myself and doing, doing all the practices for myself as well. So it's something I very much live and breathe. And it's something I'm very like connected with when I share it with others. There's definitely a passion in me to connect others with this practice, whether it's yoga, meditation, or some other tool for self-development, 
self-inquiry, connecting more deeply. That's what I do now. And most of it is online. And like, like this, I mean, I, here I am in Atlanta, Georgia, and you're in, in Melbourne, Australia. So we're able to connect 14 hours apart, uh, completely different parts of the world. And yet here we are. So that's the amazing part of all of this is the ability to, to connect with everybody uh, around the world from the comfort of our home. <laughs> so yeah, that's where I am and that's what I'm up to. Did you find it difficult to to change from in-person teaching and, you know, that really, that connection with others in person to then pivoting the magic word at the moment to the online space and then making a, a real go at the online space? How did you go in making that happen and what were your feelings along the way? Great question. And it's really, it's a really valid question. For me, the, the, the pivot, so <laughs> as, it, as we say it, was natural because I was working towards creating more stuff online even before lockdowns and restrictions hit us. Funny enough, though, I was in India co-facilitating a training with a yoga school in Rishikesh, India, when lockdowns started happening and flights were getting canceled. And so it was a very interesting moment. It was a very interesting moment because here we, we had a group of 30 people and a couple of different trainings running and people started recognizing that their flights were getting canceled. And it was like, oh my goodness, what are we going to do about this? And about half our group decided to get on a flight home and finish the training online. And another 10 or so stayed with me and I continued the training with them. And we, we finished the training and we were, we were stuck. Isn't quite the right word. We were confined to the to the ashram we were teaching, which is absolutely a beautiful, beautiful place. And we had a community and we had lots of support. And at the same time, it was very uncertain. It's like, here we are in India. For me, it was okay. Like I'm a nomad at heart and also in occupation. And so I was like, well, we'll stay in India until, you know, until we are able to leave. And for many of them, it was very interesting because they have lives to go back to where they're from and so it was around two weeks that I was with students from Canada, from Finland, from Estonia, from the States, and many of them were getting their, their flights back home organized through their government. Um, we, we were meant to stay at the ashram. We were right on the banks of the, of the Ganges River, which is amazing. And we were able to go out and swim between 5.30 and 6 in the morning. So it was a beautiful opportunity for spiritual practice, for connecting, and a lot of space to, to really live the life, the ashram life as well. So over the course of that two weeks was really magical. And we, we needed to stay in the ashram because they were being very serious. At this time, it was quite unknown uh, what was happening and, and especially what was happening around India. And one of the fascinating things was India shut down, India locked down. And, you know, I, I've been to India for years. I've been going for years and experiencing the madness and the chaos that is inherent, that is beautiful about India. And so I never thought in a million years that, that the people of India would respond the way they did and that they, they stayed put. And for the first time in my life, I saw India quiet, like empty, like ghost town vibes. And I was, I was like, wow, I'm so surprised that India actually responded like this, like the people of India respond like that. So that was very interesting to see and also quite nice to, 
you, the the quality of quiet that we get when everything is like everybody's inside is a beautiful quality of quiet. So I, I enjoyed that in parts as well. And I eventually got my flight back to the United States. And as I said, I've been nomadic for the last six, seven, six or seven years of my life. And most of that has been around teaching yoga, retreats, trainings, uh, workshops, connecting with beautiful communities around the world. So I do very, very much miss that. I miss connecting with my community in Ireland, community in UK, community in Finland, community in Canada. And I, I very much love doing things in person. There's things that we can do in person and a quality of energy that, that we're unable to get online. Now, that being said, I had my skepticism about what it would be like to facilitate trainings online. And I was very pleased with the quality of trainings we were able to get. And I started teaching with the yoga school back in London. And it was amazing. Like this is a this is a place where a lot of my transformation, my story, where I am now began. And to be facilitating trainings with them, very much the same training I did several years ago, was magic. And and how it translated online, we, we did it on Zoom. We connect with students. We're able to teach them yoga and able to empower them with the skills uh, as yoga teachers and all the self-development, all the amazing components of the course still translate well online. So that's really cool that that's, that that's the case. So I had my skepticism about how things would work online and and would we be able to make the impact that we very much want to because that's it's a want to make impact for us uh, and for myself. And so to see it making the impact and, and transforming lives still is amazing. And there's definitely pros and cons to it. Like I, I said before, there's things we can do in person. There's a quality of connection in person that that is unmatched with being in Zoom. At the same time, people are more comfortable and often more grounded from their own home. And it's a safe place for them to, to open up. So it's there are pros and cons of each one. And my feelings around it, I, I see the I see things very much through the lens of a yogi, through a as a meditator, observing the mind, being curious about what what are the motivations in human behavior. Um, and I've seen a lot of fear, a lot of fear circulating in the collective, and that's and that's something that I really want people to become aware of to understand. Like, hey, there's there's a lot of fear here. And how is that motivating your behavior? How are you operating from that? And what's the story there? Like, what is the, what's the driving impetus for this behavior? And is it based in illusion or is it, is it real? And one of the, one of the things that I very much want is people to feel empowered, people to feel a real sense of freedom and and psychological freedom is a big part of that too. So understanding that there's so much information coming our way, really stepping into the role as an observer of taking that information and having it there and also living experience, like what is my experience of life and allowing that to inform me as well as a big part of that. And so that's something that's been very much at the forefront of my heart is to uh, educate, to empower students, clients, my family around the world, I like to consider them, to step into the role as an observer, understand there's a lot of information coming through. And where are you as an observer? Where are you 
as a person that's able to to put this information here onto the side and live the experience and see and see how they are relating with each other. So that's been a big part for me and and wanting the wanting the the relationship with what's happening to be more grounded. Um, I still love teaching in person, and I've been able to do that in Mexico, and I love that. Like I've I've been in and out of Mexico now for the last almost a year, and I've still been able to do workshops. I've attended some retreats, some some plant medicine retreats that I've uh, really adored. And that quality of like being together in a space is really powerful. So it's been difficult for me in a sense that like, I I have to, (laughs) I feel very strongly, like I've got to get out and I have been able to, and I found my places, my spots where I've been able to go and, and create new bonds and deepen existing connections with soul family. At the same time, I'm longing for the time when I'm able to go back to Ireland, back to the UK with ease, with grace, um, and connect with my family as well. So I know that uh, me, you know, I'm, I'm in charge of my health. I feel very confident in my health. And I want, that's been a big part of it too, is like how, how in charge of our health are we? And I could go into another, like we could do a whole nother hours long podcast about that uh, as well. But generally that's how I feel about it is, is I've felt very strongly the, the gratitude for, for being able to stay in connection online. And there's the other side of me that wants to do things in person. And I found outlets for both of them. So in, um, in, in one sense, I'm in a limbo state of how much energy do I continue putting towards creating online and will things transform yet again? And that we're opening back up and a sense that I can go back and do trainings and retreats and the work that I was doing. So I am very much paying attention to what's happening at the same time, staying in my own space, doing my thing, trusting, doing my best and, and my passion to, to support others in living an empowered, living in an empowered state so that they, they're, they feel like they've got it. Brilliant. You, you mentioned so much there that I'd love to unpack and, I, and mm-hmm. I, I'll, um, I'll do my best to do that. But one area, you know, just to stay on this most recent topic, I don't know how much of a big deal it is in the States at the moment, but over in Australia, we're still coming to terms with probably things that seem to have already happened around the world. So Australia, because we were so isolated and not affected by the virus itself for so long, it seems like now that it's actually coming with the new variants and and things like that, there's the fear the vaccine hesitancy and then the anti-science versus the pro, you know, all of this sort of clashing is happening. But the mm. thing that I heard, which, you know, we, you know, that's a, that's a subject in and of itself, but I think there was a few things that you said there about empowerment and fear and being able to sort of gain control of that by observe, observing rather than maybe trying to dominate, you know, everything. How does... How do, how do people that are maybe struggling right now and in the midst of fear or in the midst of an overload of information, you know, what would you suggest be like the number one thing they do to to start the process in empowering themselves or, or getting out of the rut that they're in at the moment? Absolutely. Acknowledging it is a really powerful start. This is where I am and 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 I feel this in my body, like this sense of contraction this sense of this state of not knowing what to do, 
feeling like I need to be told what to do, like acknowledging that in our system, like so the feelings of that. And then when, when that is acknowledged, like taking the steps towards creating more space. So when there's that contraction, that feeling of contraction, that's the opposite of feeling expansive. That's the opposite of feeling like I have space, I can make my own decisions, I'm, I've, I have my own agency. And so for somebody who's really in it, there's, there's gradients, right? So for somebody who's really in it, I would say simply start noticing. The meditation practice in of itself, sitting still, connecting with the breath is expansive. Like it's immediately when we start a meditation practice that's consistent, we can be confronted with all of that stuff because we take this, the time to, to stop the external stimulus and realize how much of that is still incubating and ruminating inside of us. When we take the time to stop and sit with that, we allow it to move. We allow that energy to move. We, we create space in that way. And so note, like noticing that in ourselves is a really good starting point. For somebody who's ready to take action, I, w- I would say turn off or, or distance from all the, all, all the stimulus, like give space from all the stimulus. And what I mean is turn the TV off, turn, turn the news off. I mean, you, you'll be fine. Like you'll, you'll be fine without knowing the latest updates and everything like that, because that's like, that's a lot of what's driving fear and behavior is like the constant, like, I need to know what's happening next. I need to know what the situation is. And, and a lot of that is like, you know, from, from one place I see like, what's the motivation behind that is there's a lot of, you know, eyeballs on screens for that very reason. And and the motivation behind that is to keep eyeballs on screens. And it, and this is something I tell people, it's like, the thing we have really, the only thing we really have our control over in this, in this life where, you know, seemingly we can have a lot of control or we can have no control. But the one thing we have control over is what, what, where we are directing our attention and our attention is energy, right? It's our, it's our energy. So we can talk about, you put your attention on creating a podcast. You put energy into creating a podcast. Here we are, right? So that, it, that attention manifests as action, as as where we direct our energy and where we go with it. So noticing where you're putting your attention is a really valuable, it's a skill, it's something we can cultivate. And if you're continually putting your attention towards something that's creating this contraction in your body, which is doing no good for your body, for your health at the same time, becoming aware of that and then limiting that. So put our attention somewhere else. So I say reduce the amount of of that information coming in, break the habit of being addicted to that information because it's an addiction, no doubt. It is absolutely an, an addiction to to feel in the know about certain things because the, it, intrinsically, inherently, our life is in the unknown. And and that's a, been a big um, disruptor in our life is like is is confront being confronted with the unknown and societies which is a manifest of of mind the desire to know and it's like this grappling onto like what do I know and that and that becomes a scarcity mindset it's like I, I need to cling on to that right and I'm giving that energy so be in the unknown relax. Uh, I, easier said than done, and give ourselves some space from from that which we're you know reinforcing continually. 
meditation practice is really powerful for that. Also going, going out for a walk, like getting out and going for a walk is super powerful for that. Now I actually, I'm very, I'm very much, I have strong feelings about people not being able to get out and go for a walk like that, that really, like, I think that's a, an over for the governments, for the, you know, for the societies that have taken the stance of you have to stay confined in this space. Like I I very much, I have strong feelings that that's, that's detrimental to me. That's, that's very detrimental knowing where I derive my health and my sense of power and my sense of freedom is the ability to, to have the agency to go out and connect with nature. And I think that going out and connecting with nature, whether, I mean, even if we're in a city, there's an opportunity to get out and, and breathe fresh air and hear birds. And there's a park around the corner. We can see the grass. We can feel the grass. Um, we can take our shoes off. We can connect with the grass. Like there's all these different things that uh, I love to do that are very deeply something that I'm very passionate about of getting out and connecting with nature and the expansive feeling that I feel in that. And I know that I trust this, this, feeling of being expanded of my health, my immune system, my body is in a state where I'm, I'm able to cope with so much more rather than being told that I need to stay in a place and, and having all the fear around that. So I I do have strong feelings around whatever the circumstances being, being told to confine to a, a place and that the decision is now out of my hand. So I, I know that the, the power is where we put our attention and the power of giving ourselves space is a, is a very powerful act and letting, you know, taking small steps in that direction of recognizing where, where I'm feeling attached to the information, giving myself some space, giving myself time to be with myself and allow all of that to move. All of these are different practices for navigating the uncertainty, for, for, like embracing the uncertainty and and staying in our power, like breathe, go outside and and breathe fresh air, go outside, be in nature. These are all things that are very close to my heart. Yeah. And those opportunities are just necessary. I mean, not everyone will take the opportunity to to go outside, but um, it needs to be there. Uh, We're pretty lucky here that we we do have that opportunity to, um, to get outside unless you are positive with COVID and then, you know, you're expected to isolate indoors. Everyone else is um, able to enjoy and, and being in a place like Australia, you're able to see some nature no matter where you are almost, you know, you're, you're able to find find somewhere. So we're lucky in that regard. But the, the one thing that I, I think needs to happen is when you're walking that we're not bringing our phones or not, you know, still yeah. watching yeah, the TV Absolutely. on the phone or I say the TV, but, you know, watching the me- media um, or even listening to podcasts because you're still not escaping from, not escaping, but you're still not, you know, using your mind and, and taking that uh, minute to calm down. And I know that I get stuck in that when I use that as an opportunity to listen to a podcast and I'll find myself getting worked up about something that's, you know, <laughs> I'm listening to in the news, if it's a news segment. So if I do feel I need to listen to something, I do it lighthearted and and away from from those, uh, I guess, triggers for outrage or triggers for, you know, whatever it might be, yeah. which is which is key. But nature and breathing and, and th- those things, as you were saying them, I forget sometimes, you know, just to, to loosen up, to 
to breathe, to realize that you're taking shallow breaths or that you are contracting. And sometimes when anxiety is building, all you've got to do is, yeah, just a few deep breaths and, and just taking stock, isn't it? It's just realizing right. and, and sort of, um, yeah, re- realigning that attention and, and where you are. Yeah, so exactly. something that really I really want to touch on right now is just that first moment that you found yoga because you talked about it being such a, a transformative process and something that you, you know, live and breathe now. Was there a moment where yoga was this word that you sort of half knew and, you know, whatever, and then it became something that you tried and then something that you lived and breathed and and actually started to develop other people's, you know, life amongst, you know, with yoga in their life. So what was that pathway and that journey for you? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, and I connect very clearly with the phase or the, the, the moment of my life, the, the period of my life where yoga became something much more than how it was, how it was. And in like anything that we do with awareness and, and it would, you know, the conversation we just had is, is noticing those feelings in the body. It starts with awareness. Going for a walk without the technology is, is yoga. It's yoga in a sense. And it's, it's our opportunity to integrate, to allow those, all the information to digest. So for me, I was very, so I, I was very much into fitness at the time. So fitness and wellness six or seven years ago. And I had not connected with yoga so deeply yet. And yoga for me was a stretch that I would do to supplement my running, to supplement my other fitness activities. And it was when I, I had a, a, a very significant epiphany uh, in my life where it, was, where it was essentially a crossroads. And I chose me in that moment. And I'm happy to talk more about that later. And what's amazing is when our life or consciousness is, is trying to send a message and we finally listen to it, there's this wonderful energy, this wonderful support from, from the universe that when we start to live in alignment with what we really are, so going, going on the journey of, of unlearning all the things that, you know, we, we picked up early on and embracing what we are in, in some capacity, we get support from that. We get energy from that. We get alignment from that. And it's that alignment that sent me much closer towards yoga as something very significant in my life. In that crossroads, I was still studying engineering. I was a practicing engineer for some time, and then I started to do a master's degree. And I was living in France at the time, so I was doing a um, master's degree in engineering in France and finding all of it to be out of alignment with me. And I chose that. I chose to give that up, to swallow my pride and and everything that was around that, and to pursue what I really loved at the time was health and wellness. And that decision, that very pivotal moment, catapulted me forward. Like you could say five months later, everything was uh, in a way effortless that I landed myself in the United Kingdom in London, where I would then live for a year and a half. And I was studying something different, but I was studying something much more aligned with me. The first two days of being in London on the second day. I mean, the first day I just got there and got situated on the second day, I went for a walk and I passed a yoga studio and it's the, it's the yoga studio I still teach with. 
and they had a sign outside. They had their, their promotional offer, 30 days of unlimited yoga for 30 pounds. And I walked in the door and I signed up for that. And in that frame of mind, I was like, okay, I'm going to come for 30 days every day and I'm going to pay one pound per class. Like I, I wanted it, I wanted to get the cheapest yoga. Now, what's beautiful about that is I had no, I was completely oblivious to the fact that when we do something that is so, uh, you know, yoga is a beautiful, intelligent science of human development evolution. We often think about yoga as simply the poses, but I refer to yoga as OG self-development. Yoga is a system. Yoga is a, is a science of human realization and, and activation and, and alignment, like energetically, mentally, physically, all of it. So I went for 30 days and yoga worked on me. Yoga did its work on me. Like yoga does what yoga does. And I started to feel the benefits of transformation. In addition to that is that the community was really amazing. The community was really supportive. So there's two pieces there. It's the yoga practice itself and the community that reinforces it, the accountability that comes with that and the joy of participating in that. So there's a lot of want in me to continue this journey. And I knew that from my childhood, from growing up, which was turbulent, in many cases, very turbulent. I grew up very overweight, morbidly obese. I had a very poor connection with my health. So I'm coming from all of this. Like I'm coming from a place of being very in the unknown, like very in the ignorance, very much not knowing how to live my life. And to, to connect with how I was, to the phase of transition, to being more empowered, being more connected with myself, trusting myself, yoga played a very pivotal role in that because I started to see yoga as, a, as an opportunity, as something that I could look forward to, lean onto for healing. Now, if you'd asked me around that time what healing was, I would have said, well, you get a scratch and it, it goes away, you healed. So I had no no context for what what was the emotional, energetic qualities of healing. And I needed a lot of that. Like I knew I had skeletons in the closet. I knew I had things that I was still very much wanting to integrate into me. And, and I wouldn't have used the word integration. I just, I didn't know what I didn't know at the time, which is always the case for us. And I saw yoga as, as, this, as this entity without a ceiling as I could take it as for the rest of my life. And I could use yoga as something that would help me with the things that were challenging me. Now, I used to carry around this story of, so I had a, a couple of traumatic events later in my, uh, or early in my adult life. Uh, when I was 16, my uncle committed suicide. It was very challenging for me because I was close to him. I saw what drugs and alcohol did to my family. I saw what people without a purpose, what, you know, the destruction of not having a purpose, of not living aligned. So I saw that, you know, my uncle went down the road of, of not having a purpose and then fueling any sort of life that he did have with substance and eventually that road leading down to, to suicide. I saw something similar with my mother um, being very dependent on the medical system overprescribed medicine for decades and having her own issues with mental illness that I, that I can look back on and reflect now and understand a lot of things that I've 
worked on in my life and where, you know, I've picked up some things from my mother. It's like inevitable that we pick things up from our parents, from our culture, from our family unit. And so seeing that play out, I had this story that people didn't know me if they didn't know that stuff. They didn't know me. So I I had that in the background that like I couldn't fully be myself if somebody didn't know about this. Now, when I got into uh, yoga teacher training, we had opportunities to share about these things, to talk about what's weighing us down in our life, our baggage, the, the heaviness. And it was one of those moments where it's like we had the opportunity to share in front of a group and it's a really powerful, and this is now, this is now when I was training to be a yoga teacher, really, really powerful exercise to share. Like what, what is the thing that there's shame around or guilt around or fear around to, to say it out loud because it transforms. Like it is an alchemy, uh, an alchemic process. And when we keep something inside, it's, that's weighing us down. It's, to- it's literally toxic to the body. A mental, emotional state can be toxic to the body. Like our body wants to do something with that. So in that moment, when we were with a group, I, when there was somebody's opportunity to share and all I needed to do was raise my hand, um, I felt my whole physiology shift into a state of what we will call it a, a sympathetic nervous system where the heart is beating, the body's like, I've got to get out of here. I'm in fear mode, paralysis. And I, and I experienced that paralysis of not being able to raise my hand and share what I needed to share because I had a story of, well, other people need to talk. I've, I've, I've figured this out. I've got it. Uh, it's not so big. And yet here I was having this tremendous physiological reaction, armpit sweating and everything like that. So I recognized that in me that I wanted to get it off my chest. Talk about how words we use really are, are metaphors for the experience that we're having. So I, I spoke with a, a good friend of mine on that training and I said, let's, let's take some time to connect in person and talk about the things that, you know, we had the opportunity to talk about in front of the group. And I, I shared that stuff. I, you know, I told the story about my mother watching her literally lose the will to live, which was very intense for me. And also about my uncle, what happened was what seemed so big between my ears and my head and my skull, it seemed huge and when I spoke it out loud, it came from this, this area confined within my, my head and my body to outside into this much bigger space. And I felt the weight lift off my shoulders. I felt it much smaller. And it was a very big opportunity for healing. And I recognized that, okay, so something, something is at work here. And along with the yoga teacher training, Along with the um, the different programs I did at this studio, I started to become more aware. Awareness is what is inevitable with a yoga practice, with a meditation practice. And what it simply means is I become more sensitive and more present to the experiences I'm having, the patterns that I'm living out, because we're we're living out patterns. And I started to recognize that I can I can do something with this. And I have other, really other uh, powerful stories of my relationship with food, diet, and exercise, for example, was dysfunctional. And I started to look at yoga as like, how can I allow this practice to unravel this? How can I heal my relationship with eating through yoga practice? And it was in that time that, you know, I, I had this, in that phase anyway, that period of my life, that I had this beautiful realization that I can trust yoga. I can trust this practice. And it, 
really had no ceiling for me and it still doesn't. And it was in that moment that I put my trust in the practice that I essentially took my power back and said, I can do something about me. I can do something about me and I can heal. I can liberate. I can, you know, I've, I've always been able to follow my dreams in some aspect, but, but for many years I was following other people's dreams and I, and I was very good at it. Like I, when I was an engineer and I was very good at it. I was very academic. I was very, uh, let's say, left-brained and scientific, and I cultivated all of that. And so I had the illusion that, you know, because I'm good at this, because I can put effort towards this, this this is what I need to do. And a big part of, of breaking that illusion is recognizing that, hey, like, this is actually very externally motivated. Like, I want the significance from being an engineer. I want the status. I, I want to do it because my mother wanted me to be an engineer. And her passing away was a big catalyst in liberating some of those confinements that I chose to, to keep on about what I should be and what I should be doing because it was to make my mother proud or what, you know, what she said. So coming back to yoga and recognizing that, wow, this practice, the sky's the limit. Like there is, there is no limit to this practice. I can continue going deeper into it. And and even then, when I put my trust in myself by saying, I trust yoga, it's the same as saying I put my trust in myself. Because when I say I trust yoga, it means I have to engage in the practice in order to get the benefit of the practice, the fruit of the practice. And so I'm essentially saying I trust myself to show up in my life in a powerful way and see where it goes. So it's still in the unknown. And it's me being in, in the driver's seat of like, really embracing the unknown with, with powerful tools and willingness to go on my journey. And for the first time ever, I was really excited and enthusiastic about something in my life where it wasn't just doing it because I thought I had to, because this is what I need to do. And I I felt very different in my body and I started to become more sensitive, more aware to my experience. And that's an ongoing journey. Needless to say, yoga sent me on a journey that I am still on, I still connect with, and I love sharing it with others. I I realized that early days when I lost the weight and I became very connected with fitness and health, I started teaching fitness. So teaching, um, embodying, and and sharing with others is very much natural to my personality. Even when I was an engineer, I would tutor people. I would show up for the tutoring sessions and, and help people with their homework. So teaching sharing is a big part of my intrinsic personality, like something that naturally wants to manifest. And recognizing that in myself, being able to lean into it has been great thanks to yoga and recognizing that, hey, I've got something to share. I have a very powerful journey that people can connect with. Because I know where I was, because I know where I came from, realizing how disconnected I was from the present, what what exactly the present moment is, to connecting with mindfulness and realizing, okay, this is present. This is where my mind is. I can now observe my mind and not be completely engaged in mind. And those, those little glimpses of light, of breaking free from that addiction, that's an addiction, that's a pattern, sent me like to the moon. And, I, and I've been on a rocket ship ever since then of wanting to learn more, wanting to share what I've learned, wanting to empower and impact the lives of others. And I get a lot from that too. Like I... I get a lot of learning and lessons and I'm still evolving and I, you know, I will be from my passion and from my, the chosen career of teaching and facilitating this experience of, of sharing yoga with people. So, 
you know, you asked me, do I remember or, or what was it like that phase of, of when yoga became something deeper? And it was very much in that year, year and a half where I was with the yoga studio um, in London and doing all the trainings and the programs that I started to recognize, yeah, yoga is so much more than stretching, so much more than this thing that we identify in the West as a physical practice. And we put so much attention, like we talked about before, attention to the aesthetic of yoga. And a lot of people are practicing yoga because they think that, you know, they'll be seen in a certain way if they're practicing yoga, which means that the rationale for it or the reason for it is externalized rather than realizing, well, my hope is to empower others and to inspire others to realize the beautiful power of yoga meditation. And I say yoga and meditation like that's that's a huge umbrella for so many different tools of self-knowing and embodying that and, and living in our truth and living authentically. And that's such a profound process for anybody to go through and to continue to be, to be uh, intimately engaged in that process through our life. It's not something that we, we do and it's over and we're, you know, we're set. It's something to actively continually engage in. And that's, that was a big piece. It's like, I put my trust in that. And I say, I put my trust in myself to continue showing up to my practice, to my evolution. You talked about like that choice of getting into yoga, starting off as a, I'll get 30 lessons, you know, in 30 days and then that'll be it. And it was almost an external thing again about the, the money or yeah. the savings and, and the fitness and well-being being similar and the engineering being similar. But they're very difficult things to do none, nonetheless, you know, to commit yourself to being fit and healthy, eating well, to commit yourself to a degree and then to work and to turn up to work and, and do all of that. And you had this tumultuous sort of upbringing. I'd like to go step back in time because it seems like there were two pathways you could have taken early on in life. You know, you could have gone and followed the footsteps of those around you and maybe self-medicated and you, and you may say that you did in, in with food and, you know, but you yeah. could have been in a very different spot today, you know, or, or, or not here at all. You know, there, there could have been that as a path and, and you didn't take that even before you you found yoga and meditation, you, 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 you did take another pathway. So can you sort of take me through, you've mentioned pivotal moments a couple of times, but those pivotal moments as, as a youngster, as a, as a young person, and almost those fork in the road moments where you were actually able to step out of it. And even though it took a while before you found, you know, who you really were and escaped living externally, you were still able to get success even if it was external along the way and, and transition out of that destructive state. So can you sort of lead us through how that happened? Whatever we do, what I've noticed is that there's a, an inertia, there's a momentum that gets accrued when we do things over and over again. And the sense of what this practice, what these practices have taught me is, is I want to be very mindful and pay attention to what I'm putting my energy to consistently because I'm going to create that experience. I'm going to create that experience. I'm going to attract that experience because I'm putting my energy to it and my attention to it. Growing up, I, I lived in a house where there was a lot of 
uh, mental illness, a lot of addiction. And you're absolutely right when you say that my, my way of coping with that was to eat and to numb myself out through eating. Uh, because if I'm eating, I don't have to feel the feelings that are, are so big for me. And that's something that I've recognized in myself the last few years is, is just how sensitive I am to the energies around me that food became a really um, a crutch that I leaned on to, in order to not feel. What happens in our childhood, the first seven, like really, if you, if you want to study developmental phases of, of a human being, the first seven years of being a child, even before we're born in the womb, we are, we are taking so much information um, and downloading it, and that's our program. And that's the program we will run from. Like, that's, that's our programming. That's our operating system. So the, the magic of awareness is the ability to step away and see, okay, this is the operating system. What do I want to upgrade? What do I want to change? And, and recognizing that can take years. Being in a society, this is one of the other really big detractions of our modern fast society is we want fast. We want change. We want quick. And we keep externalizing that. We keep manifesting that outside of us because we think that that's going to change the inside and recognizing that when we change the inside, then the outside changes because we've changed our perception of the world. We will see a different world. That's the big takeaway. So when I was young, the programming was very much of standard American diet, SAD, have you ever heard of that, where it's a ton of processed food, a ton of junk, being very emotionally intertwined with the family. And I saw this dynamic between my mother and my sister that was very, very unhealthy. Uh, very toxic is, is a great way to say it. Where they were, you know, they would clash, they would break apart, they would take on the role exactly again to create a new clash. From a young age, I saw it and I was like, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm just going to stay here and eat my food. I'm going to distance myself. So I, I isolated, I separated, I numbed and self-medicated in that way. However, from a young age, I saw that, that there was an inherent insanity in this dynamic growing up. Like, I, I'm really grateful that you say, you know, I could have gone down that path, but it never seemed like, uh, yes, I did go on that path in a sense with food, but I never... Um, I had a very strong, healthy resistance and rejection of substance because I just saw how destructive it was in my family. So I did, I did end up going to substance. It was a different substance. It was food. And I gained a ton. Of, I mean, I was always obese as a child, like from, from the time I was three or four years old, very obese. And I took that with me all the way until I was 20. The pivotal moments for me, were leaving my house to go to university. So I left my house. I left that toxic environment, which is reinforcing all these patterns and behaviors, and went into a new environment. And it's important to, to delineate the difference between an internal environment and an external environment. So we can change our external environment. But there's this wonderful statement that, that rings very true for me, and I've lived in experiences that wherever you go, there you are. So we take all our shit with us wherever we go. And I say that, you know, in a, in a loving way, it's like if, if you're unable to deal with it here and you, and you try to leave that situation 
to start everything new. It's like those patterns mm-hmm. and that programming is there. And, and what you want to manifest, you know, unconsciously, you'll manifest again. So I wasn't, in a sense, I wasn't wanting to manifest that. Like it wasn't my programming to manifest toxic environment, toxic relationships. So getting away from that, I was able to build healthy relationships, be more myself, even though I was still very much figuring that out. And I did want to lose weight. So obviously when, when somebody is really overweight, the idea of weight loss is constantly on our mind. It's like, I want to lose weight, but it's like, how do I do it? How do I, what do I need to do? And it's like the, not recognizing it's, it's a failure by omission, failure to recognize that my lifestyle, my actions, my behaviors, my choices are all contributing to this experience. And if I can start to understand that, then I can start to unravel that and let, and let that be a process that takes years if it needs to. Luckily for me, I got into a different environment and attracted a lot of support around losing weight and getting more connected with my health because that's what I wanted. And I was able to join um, a weight loss group at the university gym. And very quickly, I was like on it. Like I was as into that and, and my competitive nature showed up that I wanted to lose the weight. Like I wanted to make the most of this program. Interesting that that shows up is like when I, when I do something for myself, I, I typically want to make the most of it. And so I did that exactly with this. And I recognize in myself, like community is a huge part of that. Like having people around that, that are enforcing, reinforcing that, which I want to create super powerful for me. And, and I believe for most people having that support is incredibly powerful. Like I recognize and acknowledge the beautiful scope of different personality types and different, you know, different natures in people and how they go about life, but recognizing that, you know, community, community in the, in the direction of where we want to go, where we want to create is a very powerful force. So I got out of the toxic environment. I lost a ton of weight, ton of weight, almost an exaggeration. I lost a hundred pounds, you know, close to 50 kilos over the course of a year. And I, when I saw myself lose the weight, new confidence came in because it was like something I felt like, oh my gosh, I have power over this. I get to choose what I put into my body and I get to choose the output. So when we choose what goes in, we can have a degree of choice of what goes out as well. And what goes out is, is the experience of life and the quality of life. If I take in a high quality, I get out a high quality or, or something that I, that I love, that I can be inspired by. So that was a huge pivotal moment. And I often refer to that as my weight loss journey cracked the shell of a deeper transformation. So from the outside, you see a big transformation. He lost hundred pounds. He looks completely different. What happened was interestingly enough is my relationship with food shifted, how I chose to numb shifted and it went into exercise. So the, the pattern stayed, how I dealt with it stayed, but it was in a, in a sense, it was in a healthier way. So that's a really great step. I think for many people to go from that to, to, okay, so we keep the same programming, but the, the, the input that we put into it changes and we create a different output, but that's still not dealing with the the seeded, like the deep stuff, right? So the deep stuff is the stories I'm carrying around with me, the small, difficult moments in childhood that, that are stuck in my body. We call them traumas, or we can call it PTSD or complex PTSD. Like there's a lot of psychological terms for, for so many human beings, nine out of 10 human beings 
just being alive in this, in today's world and today's societies are carrying around these things and we're living it, whether we've addressed it through the lens of psychology and understanding it or not, it's like, it's alive in us. So we, we get the opportunity to go on a beautiful journey of connecting with that and unraveling that. So that weight loss cracked the shell to a deeper internal transformation. And I started to, to question things in my life and recognize that I had a, a deep passion and love for fitness, health, and wellness, because it was, it was a quality of momentum that I didn't even have to put energy into it. It was just like, I didn't have to will myself to do it. Let me say it like that. And it was, na- it was very natural, and I was inclined to want more of it. Whereas with my studies at the time, it was so much willpower, so much force, and like, ah, push. So starting to recognize that there's two, these two different din- dynamics in, in my experience of life. And, that, and I carried that with me for three more years of university and eventually got to my third and fourth year where I had another very pivotal moment where I was walking up the hill on university campus to go to the gym. And the thought popped into my head as I was reflecting on my journey as a student and academic, the thought popped into my head. And it's, it's very funny. Like we get to choose the thoughts we put energy to, right? Thinking our thoughts, our field of thought, it's like an all you can eat buffet where you get to choose the dishes that you, that you eat, right? You don't have to eat it all. You don't have to believe every thought that pops into our head. So this thought popped in my head that that created a significant movement in me. And it was that I don't like, I never liked any of this. And the thought was particularly directed towards my career in academia, the the studies, the the mathematics, the physics. It's like, I never enjoyed it. And it was in a moment of (laughs) acknowledging, like, I never enjoyed this. Here I am walking towards something that I really enjoy. And here I am um, at the same time acknowledging, like, I've put a tremendous amount of energy and time of my life towards something I don't really enjoy. And that was like, oof, talk about an intense thought to have. It's like to, very uh, ego-shaking, mm-hmm. um, per, you know, it shakes the foundation of what I've built myself upon up to this point of saying, I never really liked that anyway. And, and like having that thought pop in, like that's true. Like that, I've, that's, that's a true thought. Like that, there's accuracy in that. What do I, I did what, most people will do in that circumstance is having poured energy and time and effort into this life. I put that thought out of there. I said, nah, we are not going to, we're not going to listen to that. That's, you know, that's nonsense. I continued my path with becoming a trainer, becoming somebody who loves to share wellness and fitness. And that thought was still in the background. I eventually finished my course, started uh, being a practicing engineer uh, for a short period of time, and my mother passed away. That was another big mover and shaker in my life. Now, I was very connected with my mom. I was very attached with my mom. She was a huge figure in my life because my parents separated from an early age, and I lived with my mother. And so her influence in my life was huge. And I saw her incapacitated and very dependent on on medicine, like pharmaceutical medicines, for many years for the, the entirety of my adult life, at living at a very low capacity of engaging with life. And eventually, um, you know, having had a couple of bouts with cancer and, and being chronically overprescribed and over-medicated, I saw my mom lose the will to live. Like I saw her lose the desire to be mobile, to get out of bed, to walk, 
Um, I saw her go into comas regularly at home because she's on way too much pain medicine and her, and her system is no longer able to, to support it. I, you know, I called 911 more times, the emergency number more times than I care to, you know, than I like to think about to get her to uh, an emergency room to get her coherent again or to get her back, you know, out of a coma. That was very transformational in my life because it gave me more evidence to find a different way of living, to find a like a way that I'm in my power rather than dependent on this system that seemingly was not wanting her true well-being. It was more about her getting what she wanted as in pain medication and sending her on her way rather than empowering her. Now, my, I acknowledge that my mother chose that and she chose to be in a sense, a victim to that system that was not supporting her. It was keeping her medicated and keeping her in in this state. So on one sense, I see my mother choosing that. Like this is, everybody has their choice, whether they're, it's conscious or unconscious, um, whether they're heavily addicted on something or not. Like there's still the seed of choice there. And we have to acknowledge that, you know, like we're choosing our life. That inspired me. And it also broke away a lot of the energy that was holding me towards the career and the path that I thought I had to go towards. Uh, because the, you know, my mother's father, my grandfather, who I never met, was an engineer. He went to the same school I went to. It's prestigious. It was, you know, I'm going to make lots of money. I'm going to also a through line of being very, very overweight was that I got my status and my significance by being very, very smart. So if I didn't have the recognition for being, you know, healthy, fit, being able to play sports, I needed it in another way. And that for me to get that validation was to be very smart, to to be the best, one of the best in my courses. So when my mom passed away, not only did I uh, start to reconcile, you know, her relationship with the Western medical system, and also I started to reconcile where I was with my life and my choices. And so I had this this sense of freedom, like a, a sense of freedom, no longer being in the cage uh, that I put myself into of needing to confine myself to my mother's structure and belief structure. And I had choices for the first time that I didn't consider. Choices are always there. It's like whether we give energy or consideration to them, that's another question because it's so easy to put ourselves in a box and live in that box. So I, I, I knew that I loved to travel. Like it's very much in my nature to, to travel and to see places. And I was very lucky to study abroad. I decided that, you know, after not enjoying, continuing to not enjoy working as an engineer, um, I started working for a running shoe store and I got way into running. I loved running and I, again, community and I did amazing things I thought I would never be able to do. I mean, I ran a marathon after training for years. And this is like, you know, to, to go from a person that thinks running a mile is for aliens and for, for people that are like at the top of the fitness, like a mile for me was like, you're at the top. To running a marathon, talk about how many limiting beliefs and structures that were shattered in that process. So tons of confidence and self-value worth coming through in this, in these endeavors of pushing myself physically, because because pushing myself physically was something I was never uh, attuned with. I would push myself mentally a lot, and then I decided to go back into academia because I was lost in a sense. I was like, I've done, I've put four years of my life into this into this career, 
And I still don't know what I really like to do. And I'm, but now I'm very committed to doing what I want to do because I know that there's something out there that I want. And I was very interested at the time and seeing if I could find that in engineering. So I, I found the middle road. I went to France where I could still travel and to, in Europe because I absolutely adore Europe. And I started studying a master's degree. Very quickly was I confronted with the wall that no longer can I coast, no longer can I, this, this was at a different level that when I started to connect with different aspects of life, I worked really hard the first two and a half, three years of my courses. And so I was able to just rest on my laurels, so to speak for that. But that started to decay. And when I got to the master's degree, I no longer had the energy or the desire, the willpower to make it happen, to, to succeed in that. And so that was very confronting to me. And it was like, boom, it was heavy. It was, you know, it was existential crisis mode. Right. And at this time I started to really connect with self-development. So my, my journey with self-development through reading started around this time. And I, and I took a, a course of business self-development where I read Dale Carnegie, How to Win Friends and Influence People, my first self-development book. And it's like a classic. Mm. And, it, and it really got me excited and inspired for life. And so I started reading dozens of these books around mindset, around psychology, around habits, around self-development, around nutrition and fitness and optimization. And all the while, I'm still doing this, you know, this career that I, that I never liked anyway, to use the, the thought that popped up. And I get to a point where there's this, this through line that I started to connect with reading all these books. And I had this very empty moment, a, a very pivotal empty moment where I felt, and it wasn't from a place of being arrogant, but I felt like this, is this it? Like, do I know it? Like I could, I, I knew I could tell you what the book would say generally, because I read so many of them and, and they have a through line, like they're, they're tapping into the human, you know, archetype. And I had this very empty feeling of, do I know it all? And this is what I'm left with, this emptiness, this still not being able to create life exactly how I want to, still doing something that, and I really am not enjoying it. And so that, that sense of emptiness, it was, it was uh, deep. It was probably one of the deepest moments, you know, of my experience of my life. And that led me very quickly to the crossroads again, where when I was living in France, I created community. I created community around fitness. I, cre- I led a run group. Um, I taught group fitness classes. All of these things that weren't available at the university, I made it happen because that's what I wanted. It was like, it was my condition for having any shred of joy there that I was going to have it the way I wanted it. And so I created it. And one day I was walking home, walking back to my dorm from class my headspace, you can imagine, was so heavy and negative about how behind I am on my courses, on, you know, my projects and how I'm never going to catch up. You could hear it in my language that I was totally in a rut with that. And I'm looking down at the same time. And then I look over to to the soccer field, the football field, where we did the training classes, where I led the group fitness classes. And it was in that moment of contraction, of feeling the heaviness of all these burdens that I put on myself to feeling like, oh my God, this is what I love. And that totally tore the fabric. Like it was the last, you know, three threads that needed to be severed to say, this is what I like. Why not go for it? 
because there's a ton of pride and significance and status towards staying an engineer, getting six figure salary, you know, finding something like I was still holding out that I could find a way that, that was connecting with my passions. And I, I wasn't able to let myself let that go until this moment where I was like, okay, I'm going to swallow that pride and I'm going to go for it. And that's the moment I was talking about because in that moment I, I quit, like I quit my engineering program. And that's not something that I took lightly because I never really let allowed myself to fail at anything. I would only choose things I knew I could succeed at. And so I let myself fail. I let myself stop going to classes. I told my teachers, like, I'm, I'm, not going to go to class. Some of them begged me. Some of them were like, just come to class. I'll give you a D. (laughs) Uh, And I'm like, no, stop, you know, reinforcing. This is not what I want. It's very interesting how, when we think we know what somebody wants, we're willing to reinforce, we're projecting ourselves onto them to reinforce that is Mm -hmm. something to notice there. But anyway, that was the big pivotal moment uh, of me that, that I felt the winds of the universe push me forward into the direction. And within um, four months I had quit my role as a student, started working as an advisor for the university for incoming students, got my visa to go to London, um, got accepted to a different course in London and was in London and everything went really smoothly. Beautiful. How, when we get in, when we accept our alignment, when we embrace those things that we love, we get this beautiful energy going towards that. And within two days of being in London, there I was walking into the yoga studio that I would eventually work for, teach for, um, train at, and then start teaching yoga around London. That was, you know, the huge impetus of transformation for me. I have the um, yoga studio emblem there uh, tattooed on my arm, actually, because it, for me, it's that significant. It is, it is an epicenter for where I started a new life. As funny as it was, is I started to connect and, and deeply build connections in London and start teaching and everything like that, building a life there. When my visa expired and I had to uproot again, and I would have been perfectly happy uh, living in, in fact, that's what I wanted. However, I decided that I was going to go to India and continue studying London and that, you know, maybe I'll start a yoga studio when I get back to Georgia. It, funny how it's, it's beautiful, like incredibly beautiful to reflect on that and realize that that was five years ago and I wouldn't have it any other way leaving London to continue my journey because that has been uh, very good for me in, in terms of you know my growth and my continued evolution, whereas I could have stayed there and, and gotten more stagnant. What was the course you transferred to to be in London? You, you, you mm. mentioned how yoga took over, but did you have to drop out of yet another course to follow this dream no. again? What, what was that? No, no, no. It's a really insightful question because as soon as I got passionate about yoga, all my energy got away from it. I just was like over academia. I mean, I am really an academic. Like, I'm great at using my mind because I pushed away so much of my feelings from an early age. And that's something I've been really integrating the last few years. I got really good at being an academic, but I had no interest in it. So I, I transferred over to a university called Roehampton and I studied uh, biomechanics. So it was still, it's still engineering, like the mechanics, mm. but I get to apply it to human physiology and I got to do sports science. I got to study uh, sports psychology, which was my favorite course of the whole time. And whereas many of the students there in that course were coming from the background of 
nutrition, something in, more in the softer sciences. I'm coming from engineering. And so the, the mechanics part of it was like a breeze for me. And then I was very much into learning about the the human side of it, like the physiological side of it, the learning about nutrition, learning about sport, you know, psychology as well. So that really was, it was enough to keep me in it and to like, you know, to get my, to graduate and to, and to get a degree from there. But it was just enough. Like I, I, I got through it by the skin of my teeth because it was so, I was so much more interested in the yoga. And so, you know, I've got a, a bachelor's in mechanical engineering. I have a degree in biomechanics that, you know, I, I actually have my, my diploma from my undergraduate, which I graduated with highest honors wrapped up in the tube that it was sent to me in. And that's, and that's perfectly fine with me. I wouldn't change it for anything. Like I took a lot of my ability to think and to be logical from that. And, and also a lot of empowerment from if I set my mind to something, I can do it. I can will myself. Uh, and at the same time, like I, I was like, I was perfectly happy never applying for another engineering job again. I don't give a shit how much somebody was going to pay me. Like it, there's nothing worth me sacrificing what I know I love and that, and what a, what a sacrifice. That, that idea of not just jumping at it for whatever the, the success or the, the money or the pride or whatever, my, this podcast I sort of began with the idea of aligning the values and the actions. Now, so many people I talk to, including myself, live in a way where we see where we should be going, where the potential is, what what could be. You know, I was in the very similar state where, and then I sort of sneak into it at times, where that emptiness of I know where my life's heading, I know you know, what this book's going to say or this, you know, this person's going to say or, or what's next and almost feeling like, yeah, it's like that empty nutrition, that empty calories that in life mm-hmm. coming at you. But, you know, you're still able to live off it and it's it's a good life externally. How did you actually ensure that you, you made that happen? Because you thought it, you envisioned it, but you you didn't go back. You didn't listen to the lecturer or whatever that said, I'll give you a D and let you go on because that's almost like, oh, this guy believes in me. I better do this because what do I know? Who am I to tell this professor that, you know, I know more than him or her, you know? So so how did that occur in you and how did you get that self-belief to make it happen? Yeah, that's one of my favourite questions I've ever been asked because that's the that's that's the most practical thing right to go from that feeling of emptiness of i know what this book is going to say and and is this it Mm. that feeling of is this it i was very much in that phase and it was it was the yoga practice it was the overtime consistency showing up to that like yoga works we don't even need to understand how it works we just need to understand that it works on us and what's happening is we're becoming more sensitive, more connected, more energetically aligned through the practice of yoga. And it was so much things that I I wanted to implement in my life and wanted to live in this way. And I felt like so much like difficulty in achieving that, that I wanted as an experience, not as an external something, you know, I I, want to experience fullness. And so, you know, I read books on happiness, like how to be happy. And, Mm -hmm. and, and there's tons of 
books like that, right? There's libraries full of them. Would I, would I recognize going from that person to the person that was very invested, dedicated, committed to a yoga practice, meditation practice, was that we can fill our head with everything. And unless we don't let it integrate and drop into our body, it's, it's only going to live superficially. It's only going to be idea and thought. So the embodiment aspect of it is what allows it to integrate. This, this word integrate is a very important word that I'm using that, that let's think of ourselves as puzzles and integration is putting a piece into the puzzle. Whereas not integration is having the pieces in our hands, wondering where to put them in the puzzle. Right. So it's like the, it's, it's the things that aren't settled in us and therefore not fully able to connect with something bigger or something more purposeful. Right. So I, I quickly learned through my practice and not reading. So the, the reading is great to, to deep, deepen the integration of a practice because then my mind can, can understand what's happening and, and I can even influence a deeper connection to the experience with, with knowing about it. However, recognizing that if I read a bunch about, being, about getting happy but never apply, apply what those books are saying, it's just going to stay in the ether. It's, it's only going to be superficial. You know, to, to that end, w- recognizing that while we have agency, our choice over where we put our attention, that same vehicle of, you know, understanding life applies to understanding how, what emotions are and that happiness is an emotion. And just as valuable as understanding that I know I, I get to direct my attention, the, the more I can become present and aware and sensitive, I can align my attention. The more I can also recognize that where I put my attention can create an emotional experience that I desire. Also, emotions happen and they pass. And that this is the nature of life. This is the nature of, of, of life itself, is that things change. The nature of nature is change. One thing I really love to say about this is that meditation is is the next thing like it's yoga is encompasses meditation if we look at the broader picture of yoga as a as a really as a science for self-realization meditation is a part of that and meditation is a state of being meditation is an experience in of itself so we would then say i practice meditation i practice organizing my ability to direct my attention i practice connecting with the present moment, because the present moment isn't something that I understood either before getting into this. I remember also recognizing in these books that they talk a lot about being present and the importance of being present. And I remember talking to my dad one day, hey dad, what's so important about being present? Like all these books are talking about being present. And he's like, well, presence, you know, being present is everything. And I said, well, I'm here, aren't I? Meaning that, you know, how could I not be present? My physical body is here being fully disconnected with the fact that my mind can be, you know, grocery shopping or stressing about something I'm not doing or worrying about food or worrying about exercise, whatever story we're creating and not here in this moment. So going on that journey of practicing meditation to, to understand being here in this moment is where, where everything, everything that ever is, was, uh, can be is, is in this, in this moment. And so allowing that, the you know, connection with the present moment to become the opportunity to download and integrate 
to deepen our sense of knowing, deepen our sense of what am I and in, in experiencing this and realizing that there's so many programs that are still there, that are still running, that I can, I can pull the threads and start to untangle them. And so it's through this practice of presence and practice of meditation that allow the unraveling to happen, to, to, to become more natural. And it's also allowing for a new, new programming to be built at the same time. So it's, it's in the new programming that we get to experience a different life or, or experience life differently. Rather than the emptiness, we, we need these practices to work on us to get that sense of fulfillment and understanding that everything else is change. And this is where I, I got off on a bit of a tangent there, but like through meditating, you know, uh, intensively for years um, and doing several 10 day silent meditations retreats, really get, like imagine 10 days silent meditation without phone, without stimulus, meditating 10 hours a day really puts you with yourself. It's like a psychedelic experience. It's, it, it is like, something else. Because when we get tired of all the thoughts and the busyness in our mind, and that starts to get quiet, all this other stuff starts to come up. Visions from childhood, random memories, memories that I'm not even sure are from this life. It's just like, whoa, that's all what's underneath the surface. And that's all there all the time. And so it's like this recognition that being in that state of paying attention nothing stays the same. It's always dynamic. This is the nature of life itself. What I love to acknowledge about this is that the nature of, of nature is to change, is change. Change will always happen. However, while, na- while change is guaranteed because it's nature, transformation is not guaranteed. Transformation is meeting this self with awareness and, and allowing the patterns and everything to surface. And Awareness is enough to allow the unraveling to unfold. So to go from, you know, reading the books and being empty, feeling, you know, feeling like there's something more to really living the practices and understanding that if I can will myself, use a bit of will to create momentum and inertia towards whatever the practice is, whether it's breath work, whether it's walking, going for walks, whether it's yoga practice, meditation practice, if I can create a momentum in that, then I can get that. I can have it. I can have that experience. And all the while, I'm evolving and developing my relationship with myself, knowing that everything is transient, knowing that I'm, I'm simply here a process of change. And my willingness to embrace that and to uh, become a process of transformation and not just change, you know, and wanting to share that with others. So the big shift for me was to, was to get over the, you know, the idea of something and start doing it. Like, this is why action, action is really the most valuable thing we can have. Now we talk about in in yoga and meditation as a teacher, we talk about going from a state of chronically doing to connecting more with being and being means being in the present moment. So it's like, I'm here with my breath. My breath is what I'm observing right now. I'm with my breath. My mind is focused on my breath, right? We can still do things while being in a state of presence and while being. So that's the big thing. And one of the famous lines from the yogic text, the Bhagavad Gita, which is like, it's the yoga Bible is there's, you know, there's a conversation between God and, and a, and a student essentially. And, you know, the student is confronted with this huge decision of life 
and there's a and there's a big conflict around it. And God says, God in the Bhagavad Gita is uh, Krishna, and He says, look, all the only thing that we really have is our action. We don't even have the right to the fruits of our action because think about how much we don't know. Like if I pick up my glasses and put them down. It's like, I don't know the extent of what that, ha- what, what happens when that, because there's so much unknown, right? So all I really have is my action and, and inaction is also action. So all, all we are having is, is our action in this moment. And that's all that, that's all there is. So becoming more, paying more attention to the actions we take intrinsically, inherently connects us with a life with more intention and living with intention is, is a life living with juice. It's, it's with goodness, with, with purpose. What happens then is transformation comes through that process. It's like I act, I I get my action. I see what happens. I learn, I reintegrate, I process, I act again. So it's this this inaction process that we are, we are able to evolve much more rapidly than not doing. Even if we're not doing and we're paying attention to it, it's, it's transformational in a beautiful way. Yeah, I think that's so pivotal and, and so key to everything. I mean, the paying attention, but it's like anything, people that do the same thing or, or something over and over again without really paying attention or understanding yeah. the thing that they're doing will eventually transform even or change in a negative manner potentially, whether that becomes an addiction or a, a cycle or a habit. A few come to mind, you know, someone that eats on the couch every night or something, you know, bag of chips and you don't even remember doing it you know, but you've right. done it. And then, then you go, I'm trying all this stuff with diet, yet I keep not losing weight. And you just, you, you forget, or you're not aware of, you know, that mindless eating on the couch of, of, you know, negative stuff or scrolling on the phone, 45 minutes, an hour and a half a day, not really knowing, but you're taking in all that stimuli without really understanding it. And I see people do this on public transport or wherever of just going down, going down, going down, liking, liking, you know, without, I mean, it's fine to do that, but it's fine to do it if you're paying attention and you say, I'm going to take meaning and really enjoy this process of scrolling and finding out what yeah. people are doing. But most people tend to do it and an hour's gone. And I find it almost the same with the rabbit holes people get into with sort of misinformation and things like oh that too, God, yeah. where all of a sudden you've been looking and, and getting into something for six months or three years and, and your mindset And the things that you understand about the world are no longer the same. And a conversation can no longer occur with someone that has been either looking across something different or or just not being in that world. And and their reality is completely shifted. So, you know, it it really does make sense. Like on a on a tangible level, the the destruction that is caused by being mindless rather than mindful and and sort of not Uh understanding. And that, that is so true. And then the idea of action, you know, people being really busy all the time, you know, oh, I'm, I'm busy. Busy seems to be the word that everyone wants to use. I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. As if that's something like I'm, I'm taking action. I'm doing what the book told me to get up at 5am and 
you know, do everything in five-minute blocks like Elon Musk does or whatever and and all of a sudden, you know, you're not actually ever at that point being or, or as you said, you know, not acting, um, observing. Right. Yeah, it's just so the way that you express that, it just it blew my mind multiple times about just things that happened, you know, moments of clarity is the name of the podcast. And I was, I was having many moments of clarity during that, that, um, but it made me focus on those little areas where I'm just like, okay, I understand, you know, where I'm at or where people I know are at, where I just can't fathom yes. their mindset, but it's, yes. it's really a buildup of not paying attention for long periods of time and, and getting to a place where you don't know. It's like walking in the forest, not knowing where you're walking and then eventually being lost and and you're stuck and you're like, wow, where, where am I? Um, and what do you do at that point? I mean, how, what do you do at that point? <laughs> you know, the Well, paying attention, like this is something that, that I wasn't taught, really taught. Like this is something I've learned recently is, is we have words, right? And then we have the feeling that and the knowing of what I'm saying, if we've, if we've gone on the journey of really connecting with that. So paying attention as funny as it says, it's like, you know, we'll read, pay attention five times a day, depending on what, you know, whatever we're doing. And does that really mean something? And so it's very much connected with that sense of presence. And when we are talking about, you know, to transform, evolve out of the negative pattern or to to choose an upward spiral rather than a downward spiral requires that awareness. And like the beauty of awareness is the upward spiral is inevitable because we, because when we're aware, the sense of pain becomes heightened and we will, we have a bigger motivator to change. So it's a, a really wonderful experience that was very painful for me when I first started getting more aware and more sensitive with the yoga practice of realizing my relationship with food was still very dysfunctional after I lost all the weight because I would binge eat. I would binge eat and then need to like have this sense of need, like punishment that I needed to exercise it all off. And I think there's, a, you know, many people can connect with similar cycles. Like if they go on without the awareness, the spiral goes down. Like the guy or the, the woman on the sofa with Cheetos completely being unconscious and numb to the fact. And then like, you know, being frustrated. Why, why am I not losing weight? It's because you turn off, you, you disconnected, you turn off. Yoga meditation is all about turning on, turning on to life. Paying attention is flipping the switch on. It's like, what am I doing? And there's a phase for, for myself and for many that there's an insanity to being present while I'm still, while this um, very deeply emotionally driven habit loop of let's say emotional eating uh, grabs hold and went into so there's there's the state of of awareness around that and consciousness around that. I can be completely numb I can be taken away by the current and and go that direction and that can lead to a downward spiral I can be in it and watch myself observe myself doing these behaviors that I don't want to do and that is some that's madness. That's watching me do something I don't want to do. Having having clarity on what I want and still being in it because it's so, it, like there's an inertia. There's a momentum. When we do something repetitively, there's momentum. It's not so easy to read the book and turn the life around. In my experience, it doesn't happen. We get moments of clarity. We get deep insights. We, we make changes. And the world can go from flat to round and it, it, like, it really can go like that in an, in an instant. 
that still leaves us though with a new awareness, a new paradigm. And if we still haven't severed the, you know, the energy of those patterns that we've been engraving deeply into our psyche, into our behavior, that we're still going to have that. Like it's still, it could still pull us back in. So doing it with awareness is like, it's, uh, it's a maddening experience, but it's, it's one that greatly facilitates the process of coming out of that negative spiral. Paying attention, that's a skill. Critical thinking, thinking clearly is a skill. Being able to see multiple sides is a skill. Yoga and meditation is the science of self-realization, self-knowing. The more I'm able to understand myself, the more I'm able to understand what motivates other people's behaviors, where they're coming from. I can understand the mechanics of energy in my being and, and, and how it expresses and manifests in the world. And with that awareness, there's a different level of consciousness where the choice becomes more, I have more agency, like there's more direction, like truer responsibility, like a true responsibility for how I live life. And I, and that's a continuing process. Like I, there's more, like there's more for me. There's more for, for many of us on this, on this journey. And I acknowledge that there, you know, there's some people that will, that never will get into that quality of life where they're really in an upward spiral where they're really learning to pay attention. And and that's okay. Like that's been something that I've come to recognize that live and let live, but also I'm going to, me living is me doing my best to inspire Mm -hmm. and, you know, share the practices that are impactful because it's in the, it's in the practice. It's in the doing of the practice that we create these shifts of consciousness of greater ability to pay attention greater knowing of what's what's present, greater window, uh, like think of awareness uh, as a window where I'm able to, to be present with my actions. And even if I'm swept away, let's say I'm swept away by my actions, I, I can still pay attention to me doing it. And I can feel like, feel, you know, all the feelings and emotions associated with that action. That's allowing the energy to move. If it's unconscious, it's the energy is directed right into the action and into deepening the pattern. If I do it with awareness and I feel the, you know, the fear, the guilt, the shame, whatever the emotional situation is that's driving this, I'm letting that energy move. I'm, I'm pulling up the roots, so to speak. A particular style of meditation called Vipassana teaches us is that to do something with awareness, even if it's like we're I like this term of swept away into, like I, I've gone into it, the binge eat, whatever it is, and here I am paying attention to it and really observing myself in it. I'm healing in that moment. I'm, I'm, I'm taking away the energy of this in the moment because next time you bet, I'll be like, ah, no thanks. I don't want to feel that again. Or I don't, I don't need that anymore because I've dissipated the energy that's charged that's creating that behavior. Or, or that that behavior is an outlet for. So where, you know, where to start with it is, is awareness. Osho, a, a wonderful teacher. I mean, I know we have a lot of thoughts on Osho based on culture and, and how he brought his profound teachings to the West. Osho was a, an amazing teacher. And one of his sayings was awareness is enough. Awareness is enough. And then another thing, risk everything for awareness to be in this state, to pay more attention to what we're doing, because that is where transformation occurs. Otherwise it's just, we we can, you know, the scene might change, but the pattern stays the same. 
So everything is still changing, but whether we've evolved up or evolved down, that's something that only comes from our ability to be aware, to be conscious, and to like this pay attention. It's such a such an amazing thing to say because it it holds so much weight for me and for you too. I can hear that paying attention means really to be present with this. What is my experience in this moment with this? Because it it connects more deeply with that. Yeah. It's profound and it is everything. Uh, It is everything. There's difficulty. There's difficulty in entering that space of madness where you watch yourself do all the things that you're not comfortable with or that you realize that you are struggling with or failing in a way. And I feel so often that we as humans, we see that and we run from it. And it's so much easier just to numb ourselves or to hide from it or to to put all the covers in the way to stop that coming out. And the, and the word there is vulnerability. Yes. You know, you've got to be vulnerable. Yes. To get to that point, don't you? You've got to be like, yeah, you're you're right. Like you've just hit the it I was so defensive, like as a as a well, until recently, really. Um, and I still get some things that make me instantly def- defensive and I've I've learned now to instantly try not to be defensive. And if I am, in, like, say sorry or sorry, my ego got in the way there, continue. I need to hear this. You know, that because of the way I was brought up, you know, this it, it was just an instant defense mechanism would go up whenever I was challenged. And I feel like that is the state of the world right now is that instant defense mechanism and that refusal... Yes to be vulnerable. And this is not an attack. As you've said, people are going to go in their journey and the idea is to empower, but sometimes, sometimes it takes someone to knock you down in a way for you to go, okay, I'm ready to get back up, understand that I do need to grow or I don't, but then I I can't really complain about it. I can't go along this journey of wishing things were different. You've either got to accept who and what you are and, and, you know, embrace that and work with that or continue to transform and, and embrace the fact that things are ever-changing and, and there is an unknown and that there is no perfect you. It's just it's just change and, and vulnerability is key to that. So I know that you talk a lot about the power of language and the and being conscious of the language we use and 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 also around vulnerability. What yeah, what messages do you have around around that? Well, when you were when you were talking just then, it, the vo- the word vulnerability popped up into my head as well, and then you said it because to to be able to interface like it, it is it like I love to use the the analogy of programming because it's so relevant for us. Like uh, this machine, this programming, it's just a manifestation of of a you know what we are as a human being and how we are, and so the programming around this defensiveness is the, it's an armor. It's a, I, I want to be right to protect myself, to protect the ego's armor. It's like you, you, you said my ego gets in the way. It's like the, the ego needs to reinforce what it knows to stay alive. And that's a very interesting thing about being human is that we have this ego that we develop and we create a story and that all gets seeded in our language because the the moment we come out of the womb and we start learning language we start separating ourselves what what language does is it's a it's a beautiful tool of the mind and what it does is it separates it's like that's a plant 
here's me and we're separate. And through language, I create separation. And through this creating language, like creating the story, the narrative, I create my sense of self. The, the, the big thing to recognize is I only know the smallest sliver of what I am. I like to, th- this statement. I heard it in a, in a class once coming from a language programming methodology called NLP is I don't know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. And that's shat- That's earth shattering because what I don't know is so vast. So it's, it's being able to acknowledge that peace starts to shake the foundation of the ego because our ego wants to maintain the idea, the sense of self. And that would be like a small self, a false self. What, what we can recognize through language is that because we created the language and we learned language without being able to choose the language that we learn necessarily, we, we grow up into a family that has certain language patterns. We grow up into a society and a culture that has certain language patterns. Remember that what we really have in this world, what we really have power over is what we put our attention towards or, how, or where I'm directing my attention. Well, what, what do words do? They influence where we put our attention. And so if I have a story about how things are, that's going to be where I put my attention. And because I, I create an ego around that, I want to reinforce that because I feel right, because that's my armor, and that's, that's therefore the lack of vulnerability. Because to be vulnerable, we need to feel. We need to let ourselves take off the armor and really be willing to be wrong, to be humbled. Oh, my God humbled like that's the being everything i'm talking to you about is my spiritual journey so humbling so many because i i've had that armor too of needing to be right to protect myself and i I recognize that that, the the feeling of getting bristly when there's a competing thing that would that challenges my view of the world so what i do is i notice i i become present i pay attention to that right wonderful tool that we have is to just connect with the breath take take a deep breath the language then offers us two alternatives what if we're conscious and we're understanding that our words influence our attention which influence our experience which reinforce the story we create which reinforces the identity and which reinforces the behavior which ultimately shapes our life like that's that's how far language we can take it is from language to a story to an identity towards action and behavior and in life ultimately so i can choose a path if i'm if i have had my heart cracked open and i know what it's like to be vulnerable to be willing to listen when i think i know something instead of telling what it, what it you know telling it how it is to open myself up and to listen then I'm doing the same thing. I'm, I'm becoming aware of what's, what I'm resisting in my body and I'm feeling it and I'm allowing it to transform. That's vulnerable. What's, an, what's another level is to be able to say, say that and to own it. It's like, I, I feel angry uh, or I'm feeling frustrated or I'm feeling insecure. I'm feeling shame right now. To be able to communicate that is, a, is such a high level of being in our power. Vulnerability, like one of my favorite teachers says there's nothing more powerful than being vulnerable because that's that's shedding all the layers and saying here I am as I am and 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 that being able to own that there is nothing more powerful than that so 
where the language comes in is it is it so clearly after observing the mind and paying attention and, and getting clear on the mechanics of mind, our words shape our attention. So if I say, don't think about, a, you know, a purple polar bear, two seconds, we get a purple polar bear popping in because I, I gave you the cue of what not to think about, but the seed of what to think about is still there. So it's, it's very hard to fool that part of us by using a negation. So if I negate it, even though I'm putting my my attention in that direction, I'm going to experience it. If you take driving lessons and the driver says, don't look at the telephone poles, he'll if he's smart, he'll say, look at the road, look at the direction you want to go, because you'll probably go there. So with the language, speak the words align with the direction you want to go, because you'll probably go there. You're going to put your attention there. Knowing that our words will solidify into a story and being able to open up the story when it's not serving us and saying, okay, what story have I created here? What are my belief systems around this? Some, some of this is going to be in, intrinsic, innately unconscious, meaning if it's unconscious, good luck trying to work with it with your conscious mind. It's, it's going to have to come manifest as an emotion or a feeling, which would be unconscious. And then after a time, we can start to put some scaffolding around it and understand what the story is. So this, so a lot of that, I don't know what I don't know means there's a lot happening behind the scenes. And so much of our language is programming, meaning we're talking ourselves, reinforcing the same stories of our parents, our ancestors. We keep that with us unless we become aware of those stories we're telling ourselves and choose a different language. And the language work I do with people, with clients and in yoga teacher trainings, I, I, the power of language is so significant that I think everyone needs to understand, and it's a, it's a really good vehicle into this work of becoming paying more attention. Because if I give you a few exercises and a few words, and you feel the difference in saying the same statement with one word different, a, a great example is, is using the word but versus the word and. If I use the word but, I send my attention towards the detraction, the contraction, the, the it would be great, but dot, 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 and then there's a contraction versus this, this is great, and dot, 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 I can, I can send my attention towards expansion rather than contraction. That's, mm-hmm. that's a very simple and practical awareness into the mechanics of language and how our language, when we use words, it's pulling strings at an emotional, even unconscious level, and, and all of that is building the story. Like, all of it is, and it's like this illusion, right? We can have um, a fantasy about how the world should be, and then we create the story about that. But, but you know, dispelling that requires vulnerability to say, okay, I've built this up and I don't know what I don't know. So let me be willing to unravel that. And vulnerability is another one of those words that hits so deeply because for a long time it was just a word and it had no significance. Uh, and now I understand what it means to be vul- to tell the person that you like them, uh, to tell the person you know, to, to step into the fear of rejection for anything and say, this is what I want. That's, that's a reprogramming in of itself to, to be aware of that feeling and let my words be conscious and choose my words to walk me in the direction I want to go, even if there's fear. One great example is we're on a podcast, your podcast, you started this podcast, you talked yourself into starting this podcast. I bet you had doubt. I bet you had your questions. I bet there was reasons to not do it. 
and you talked yourself into it. There was something else, some different story that you were choosing to give energy to that here we are in this podcast. We can talk ourselves in either direction. So the power of language is incredibly powerful, recognizing how it has its teeth in our very uh, perception of reality, because from day zero and before that, we created separation and we create this reality. Because, because if we strip away the language, there is no separation. It's just this present moment. But then we lose a lot of the things that make humans human. So we have language. <laughs> Yeah, and going back to that word and the deep into that language and and understanding of the word vulnerable, we often say, "Oh, the underbelly of a you know a, a, an aardvark or something, you know, an echidna here in Australia." You know, there's the spiny outer layer, and then there's that vulnerable area, and we think, "Oh, that's where they you get attacked and you, you're killed." But there's actually strength in vulnerability. If you look at it the other way, well, you can't do much with the spines. That underbelly is where. Their lungs are, the heart is, the mouth is, the stomach is. You know, that's where everything's happening. And maybe we've got to think of vulnerability as a, and I think there's a lot of work in this at the moment, but vulnerability as strength, being Absolutely. open as strength, isn't it? It's not vulnerability as, and I see it, I've, I've got LinkedIn for, for the podcast reasons, you know, to connect with some people. But I'm on it and it's a very corporate, I mean, every social media platform has its pros and cons, um, and I would try to avoid it as much as I can. But the I, I often say it's like two gold medalists in the Olympics shared a gold medal the other, other night um, in the high jump, and there were attacks on those people saying, no, you win. You play to win. How dare you hug at the opposition? You know, that's not a real gold medal. That gold medal's pointless now. And if anything, that gold medal's more special now because you've been able to share it you've you've reached the top of the pinnacle of your game and you've shared it with someone you've come together as a nation and you're open and if you can't see the love and enjoyment and happiness that's shared as being more valuable than the the heartbreak of another i i I don't know i don't know what we're doing in this life where that is still the sentiment and it still is i mean yeah, when you when you are vulnerable, you you mentioned my vulnerability last when we last spoke. You know, as a sign of strength, but yet other people would often say, "No, you you got to hide that." You know, you put on the um, persona, you fake it till you make it. You, you know, that's what being a leader is, or that's what being this, you know, uh, masculine is, or yes, whatever. And 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 that's something that's got to change. So a, a, another thing. I mean, we're, we're getting towards two hours now, so I'll, I'll, I won't keep you forever. But your name is Jeff, but you've also go by another name. I think leadership and, I mean, you could probably touch on leadership and the journey of that name being created and then how you've lived out that name. By the way, this conversation is amazing. I've been enjoying it so much. So two hours have gone by like that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I. I love the story of the gold medal and how they share it. There's two experiences there. They're sharing it and they're experiencing that beautiful feeling of connection, right? That amazing, there's uh, incredible feelings there, I can bet. And then there's the, de- there, you know, there's the people in the arena that are, th- there's the people in the stands instead of the people in the arena, right? That are, you know, talking shit, you um, judging that experience. They're not, they're, they're blocking themselves from feeling that beauty. So it's, mm. it, in essence, it's their loss, it's their loss. And then to the to the effect that this approach to life of fake it till you make it, outcome-oriented, 
um, achievement striving oriented, like it's, there's no life in it. There's no life in it for me anyway, in my experience. It's like, I've, I've reached enough milestones only looking to achieve the milestone to know that there's no juice in that is not, it's, it's not fueling my life. And I've connected with, with things that fuel my life. And that is to be in, is to accept myself. It's, it's so humbling to accept myself as a process. And what, whenever I want to create change in my life and I get to choose that, whenever I want to go for something, I immediately attract every obstacle in my way towards that thing. And vulnerability is essential and being able to, to, to acknowledge that that's there. And that if I really want that thing I'm going for, I need to, to reshape, I need to adapt. I need to change. I need to evolve in order to, to get past this. And so the obstacle is like, the obstacles are rarely on the outside. There's not somebody that's come and put a wall between you and whatever it is you want to do. It's an internal obstacle and it's understanding that it's an, uh, an internal experience, right? So we think about that, you know, vulnerability as a weakness and we use the reason, the rationality of like, you know, here's this, you know, animal with armor on the outside and, and then they're vulnerable, they're weak if their belly is exposed. But that's a physical manifestation, you know, of the conversation that's very much an internal experience. It's like we're emotionally vulnerable. We're putting our ego at stake. And so, you know, what, what can die is our perception of the world can die. A, a part of our ego is vulnerable. It can die because when we open ourselves up to being vulnerable, we're saying the world can go from flat to round. I can have my whole paradigm turned upside down and that's uncomfortable. That's scary. That's going into the unknown. So in this whole, you know, this whole process, the, the, the language if we use the words right, we can embody ourselves as a process. We can use language that makes us a process rather than being driven by the outcome, rather than being so oriented on achievement. We can be where we are, who we are right now. And that's as vulnerable, like that's as beautiful as it gets, meeting ourselves where, where we are. As a teacher, my work and my humbling experience is learning how not to project my reality onto others and to, and to do my very best to meet people where they are. And to, and that, that's something you do very beautifully is in these conversations is meeting people where they are and the whole shape of, you know, what I do in, in terms of my brand and my um, work is the nickname that you mentioned is Jefe. And that's, you know, I was being called Jefe before I knew it was a Spanish word. I, my name is Jeff. And I just thought Jefe was a, you know, a Spanish way of saying Jeff. Until I learned what jefe means, and it means in Spanish, it means boss, it means chief, it means leader. And I love that, like I embrace that, that I have those intrinsic qualities of wanting to show up, wanting to share, teach, and embody what it is, you know, I think is beneficial to humankind. And, and because I've, I feel better for it, and it's the willingness to go on our journey because a lot of people can can stop at the door of, of a journey and say that's I, you know that's unknown. Um, I'm going to project what I think I know onto that, and I don't want it. And stop right there, rather than opening that door, going into the unknown, and and becoming better for it, becoming more deeply human for it, more connected with life for it, for going on into the unknown. And that's being like to to make that decision and not rely on somebody else to make that decision for us or to, you know, to, 
to rely so much on what other people think, that is being our own leader. That is being our own boss. And that is taking a response. That's like saying, this is my life. I'm going to go on my journey and let's see what happens. Like, that's the beauty of it. Like in any single moment, if we get to the present moment, life is beautiful. It, the experience of the present is a beautiful experience. It doesn't matter if I'm feeling sadness, grief, shame, guilt, fear. I can I can go into the center of that, become present with it, and it transforms and it's beautiful in my experience. And so to take on the responsibility, which is a tremendous responsibility for living our own life, especially in a world where we like there's so much information on how to live and what to do and how you should be and what's what's expected in society and and what's what is desirable in society. Like to throw that all off to the side is the most vulnerable thing that we can do because deeply programmed in us is the is the want to stay in the tribe. And when we when we really embrace ourselves and our individuality and our own greatness, there's the inherent risk of not being accepted for that. And so the willingness to not be accepted, that is that is the most courageous, vulnerable thing that somebody can do is to really march to the beat of their own drum. And for me, that's being a leader. And there's so many tools, techniques, practices. Um, conversations and, and and exercises to be had in, in the vein of shedding those layers that allow us to become more willing to, to take on the full responsibility of my very word, of my very action and behavior. So that's all there. And that's that's something I very much wish to inspire people with by embodying it. And then when people, when students connect with that, like they feel the juice, they're, they're empowered, like they, they can take it from there you know, creating the atmosphere, the space, the circumstances for the experience, and then letting others run with, you know, with being in their power of recognizing, yeah, I've got agency. I can choose my life. And these practices serve me. Like that is the epitome of teaching somebody how to garden uh, instead of giving them, you know, a potato, right? So giving giving them the conditions to to live their life that is theirs and authentic rather than saying, here's how to do it, or, you know, here's one piece of it, right? So that's what it means for me, and, I, and I've uh, embraced it, being a leader of my life, supporting others to be, you know, in, in their own power, something I'm very passionate about. I can only imagine how many people you're inspiring and, and helping um, to understand empowerment. And, and from that, I actually see a lot of um, this idea of, becoming a leader or your own boss almost being devoid of responsibility i mean it's my way or the highway type mm. attitude which is not what you're saying at all I, I know that uh it's it's about understanding but being open and at your place in the world agency is everything and attention yes. and being you and that's everything but understanding that shows that all the things that are probably negative or have happened to you may have been on you too those relationships that are broken yeah. might be on you. You not understanding that or failing at that might be on you. And that's the first barrier to find the vulnerability at is that when you hit those areas, which is the saddest things that you've built yourself on, on falsehoods and lies and on ego and protection at times, or at least I found that with myself, that, you know, you drink or you you go out or you be this person and and you you're not exposing yourself and you and you build this foundation 
the first step is of agency once you realize that you've got it and that you're not just going along this world on the string that you've been taken on is that, geez, things I've made mistakes and things are on me and I haven't done this because of me, not because of that person or that person or whatever. It was because of me. Those influenced me, but I still had choices along the way that I chose not to admit to. But from that, you can rebuild that base stronger than ever. And then from there comes resilience, confidence, agency, change, transformation. So, you know, you've, this conversation and, and, and your journey and the way you've put things has really made something that I've been working on in my head about that, you know, really come together where I'm able to put it across the way I have just then. So, so thank you for that, for giving me that moment of clarity there. So two things. The first one is how can people find you, reach out to you, get involved in, in what you're doing? They might want to um, apply to an online course, you know, from anywhere in the world. That's one advantage of, of this. How can people do that and, and find you, get to know you and explore, you know, what you're talking about today? Yeah, absolutely. I've got a website, hefeliving.com. So it's J-E-F-E living.com. And you can find out all the things I'm up to there. I've got a 30-day meditation program. I've got a book on meditation that you can buy that incorporates journaling and a lot of great questions as you go on a meditation journey. And, and the meditations are all recorded, guided. You'll see any online courses that I'm teaching at the time. I have pre-recorded courses as well. And you can follow me in a more personal way on Instagram where I'm sharing what I'm, you know, the work I'm doing as well as, you know, my pictures of flowers and walking in nature and, and stuff like that at, at Hefe, J-E-F-E underscore A-F. That's it. That's like, you know, marching to the beat of my own drum. And um, man, I really appreciate this time. And I love these conversations. I love meaningful conversations. It gives me so much goodness because I get to see how my thoughts are organized and to become more clear. And as a teacher, there's nothing more valuable than that, than seeing how I'm able to articulate and then seeing if that's landing uh, is really valuable to me. And and your reflection is also very valuable to me too. And it's been a, I'm super happy we got connected and grateful for this time on the show. And I really very much hope that for those of you listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for your attention. I hope that this shifted something in you. You are feeling more empowered and more ready to take action and, and embody that and see what happens and go into the unknown and see what happens and be willing to transform and be vulnerable. Like that's for me, that's where the, the, the life is so beautiful. Jeff, I can't let you go before asking my, the question I ask at the end of every podcast and you've almost given me an insight as to your moment of clarity with, with that beautiful ending there. But you know, what's something that's happened recently in your life, you know, on the journey that you've had, where you've had a moment of clarity and that you've, something's just shifted within you. Yeah. Intention is everything. Like we are either acting unconsciously with intention or consciously with intention and recognizing that the the big moment of clarity is, is recognizing that I, I show up the more present I can be the more intention I can infuse into my experience and I can create that. And the the other one is that 
it's not so much our emotions that shape our experience of life. It's our relationship to our emotions and thinking about life as a series of connected relationships to our experiences and how we can choose how we relate to the experience, whether we, whether we make a story about it being painful and something we avoid or something we embrace and see what is into the unknown. And a big one for me is becoming very sensitive and noticing that I, you know, I am, I am a very sensitive person. That's a part of me that I've pushed out for many years is that happiness is only a fleeting experience. Sadness is only a fleeting experience. They can both be enjoyed so equally if we choose to like embrace the feeling that's there rather than resist it or rather than to hang on to it. Like we want to hang on to, to good emotions and like, but then that creates the constriction yet again. And there's no space for great feelings in that way. So allowing ourselves to be fluid, allowing myself to be fluid, that's a, it's a huge moment of clarity in how I relate to my experience and wanting to share that with others too. And that goes right into the, the whole conversation of being a process rather than being fixed. Like nothing is fixed. Everything is changing. Jeff, thank you so much. This has been an absolute joy. Uh, you've reinvigorated um, something within me. If I feel more empowered, I feel more inspired. And um, if if that's what we can get out of two hours, I can't wait to connect with you further and, um, you know, see what happens over a, over the rest of our lives, you know what I mean? So, so thank Absolutely. you. Thanks for, um, you know, contacting me and, and, and ensuring that this was able to happen because that was a, yeah, it's a bit of fate in a way that, you know, uh, these random meetings of people can, can happen and then um, something great can come out of that. So I really appreciate your time as well and, and your knowledge. So thanks heaps. Thank you, brother. If you enjoyed the conversation today, please subscribe, share with your friends and family, and leave a review. If you would like to contact me, provide feedback, or have access to someone you believe would be a great guest on the podcast, you can contact me on Instagram or Facebook at Moments of Clarity Podcast or on Twitter at BarneyMOC. You can also email me on Moments of Clarity Podcast at gmail.com. Once again, thank you for joining me on Moments of Clarity.